wonderful things that God is doing. Uh, I'm going to, uh, as Gail said, what a friend we have in Jesus. This is kind of our theme at the moment as we look at some of the middle chapters in John's Gospel. It's uh, an amazing part of the Bible. We're going to hear now um, from it. John chapter 13, verse 18 onwards, and we're going to hear from Hilary and Chris. Jesus said, I am not referring to all of you. I know those I have chosen, but this is to fulfill this passage of Scripture. He who shared my bread has turned against me. I am telling you now before it happens, so that when it does happen, you will believe that I am who I am. Very truly I tell you, whoever accepts anyone I send accepts me, and whoever accepts me accepts the one who sent me. After he had said this, Jesus was troubled in spirit and testified. Very truly I tell you, one of you is going to betray me. His disciples stared at one another, at a loss to know which of them he meant. One of them, the disciple whom Jesus loved, was reclining next to him. Simon Peter motioned to this disciple and said, ask him which one he means. Jesus answered, it is the one to whom I will give this piece of bread when I have dipped it in the dish. Then, dipping the piece of bread, he gave it to Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot. As soon as Judas took the bread, Satan entered into him. So Jesus told him, What you are about to do, do quickly. But no one at the meal understood why Jesus said this to him. Since Judas had charge of the money, some of them thought Jesus was telling him to buy what was needed for the festival or to give something to the poor. As soon as Judas had taken the bread, he went out, and it was night. When he was gone, Jesus said, Now the Son of Man is glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will glorify the Son in himself, and will glorify him at once. My children, I will be with you only a little longer. You will look for me, and just as I told the Jews, so I tell you now, where I am going, you cannot come. A new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. Simon Peter asked him, Lord, where are you going? Jesus replied, Where I am going, you cannot follow now, but you will follow later. Peter asked, Lord, why can't I follow you now? I will lay my, down my life for you. Then Jesus answered, Will you really lay down your life for me? Very truly I tell you, before the cock crows, you would disown me three times. Thank you. 
very much, both of you. And, uh, wow. Um, so I had a really great evening on Friday night. I went up to London. I went to a jazz club, Pizza Express on Dean Street in Soho. And I uh, went with my friend and um, we heard uh, someone who's arguably the best saxophone player in the world. His name's Chris Potter. Um, you won't have heard of him, but just trust me, he's amazing. And uh, it's a small venue, a, a push, 100 people. It wasn't full, uh, you know, but there we were. And uh, just, it was an emotional time for me, just listening to Chris Potter, his absolute master of the saxophone playing. And, um, and then it was just so close, it was intimate. He's like about as far away as Gene is from me. And, uh, and then he comes, he finishes his set, he walks past me. And then I went and had a chat with him. And it was, um, you know, it was an intimate gig. And that's the beauty of jazz, because no one really likes jazz. So, <coughs> so you one of a very, it's a very small <laughs> interest. So you can be there, and you can watch, uh, you know, these amazing musicians. And it was beautiful, beautiful music. It was a special time. Uh, it was an intimate gig, and it felt a privilege to be there with a, such a great musician. Well, there's an intimate scene here. Uh, gone are the crowds, you know, the 5,000. Uh, gone was all the hectic hustle and bustle. And now in the story in John's Gospel, Jesus is just with his friends. It's an intimate scene. And, uh, you know, Peter Express Dean Street is a basement room. Well, Jesus met with his friends in, in an upper room. <laughs> and uh, they met together uh, and, and, and now it was going to be their last meal together, the last supper. The disciples didn't know that, but it was their last supper. Now this moment has been immortalized. Uh, it's iconic. Um, many pieces of art have been done. Most famously, Leonardo da Vinci painted a, a great painting of the last supper and in fact of describing this very moment that we hear about in John's Gospel. And uh, if you look at the painting by Leonardo da Vinci, Jesus is right dead center. In fact, I'm told he, he used sort of, he, he's very mathematical, Leonardo da Vinci. He used lines to make sure that Jesus was right dead center and all the disciples are sort of symmetrically uh, laid out in the picture either side of him. And here it is, the Last Supper, this iconic moment. And it's an intimate time, a time of closeness with Jesus, but it's also a time of love and betrayal. Now Jesus has been with his friends for three years. They've lived life together. They shared many meals together. He'd seen, uh, they'd seen him do wonderful miracles, turning water into wine, uh, raising Lazarus from the dead, feeding the 5,000, so on. So many things they'd seen Jesus do. So many things they'd heard Jesus say. And now they were sharing together in this Passover meal. And he was with them. If you look at Leonardo da Vinci's painting, yes, Jesus is in the middle, but he's, he's, he's a human being like the rest of them. And for sure, Jesus is there. He's a human being sharing with the rest of them. And yet, while he's a human being having a, a meal with his friends, he's also fulfilling... Words that had been spoken hundreds of years earlier. The words of Scripture itself. He says, I'm fulfilling a passage of Scripture right now. This is being fulfilled right now. One who shares the bread has turned against me. 
He's talking about a psalm in the Bible, Psalm 41, where King David describes uh, how a friend, his closest friend, or a close friend, someone who he enjoyed friendship with, was then going to turn against him. One who he shared bread with, shared food with, would turn against him. And Jesus says, I'm telling you this now, before it happens, it's about to happen, I'm telling you now so that you know who I am, that you believe that I am who I am. So on the one hand, you've got Jesus. He's very human. He's very close to them. He's their friend. But on the other hand, he's saying, I am who I am. It's an echo of God's name for himself in the Old Testament, Yahweh. That's what that word means. I am who I am. And this is you know, it's, it's at times you, you, we can, we can emphasise Jesus as God's son, as, as divine, and we so should, but he's also fully human as well. There's the both, and we see it in this passage. I am who I am. I'm telling you this now. Scripture is being fulfilled. Sometimes I've thought about Jesus, and I've thought about how he, maybe he walked through life kind of just floating, you know, like in, in Star Wars, those, um, those uh, sh- the, the things they drive would just float across. I just imagine Jesus sort of with a smile on his face permanently floating through life. And nothing really bothered him because, he, you know, he knew he wasn't staying there for long and he, he'd be leaving soon. And, and you know, uh, he had everything in perspective. So nothing really phased him or touched him. He always knew what was going to happen anyway. So, you know, why would anything bother him? Well, that's not true, actually. That's not the Jesus we see in this passage. We're told that Jesus was troubled in spirit. He's troubled. Something's bothering him. Something's wound him up. Something's upset him. He's upset. Now, why is he upset? He's upset because his friend is going to betray him. If you've experienced betrayal by, by a friend... You know, they turn against you. It can happen kids at school, in the playground. It can happen in the workplace. Someone can just stab you in the back. <laughs> it can happen in a marriage. You'll know how painful betrayal is. And Jesus is a human. He's fully God, but also fully human. And so he feels that pain. He's troubled in spirit. He's touched Judas is his friend. Now, if you look at the painting of Leonardo da Vinci, or if you, you, you know, it's kind of a little bit obvious who Judas is. He's slightly set apart. And as we read this story, see, our disadvantage is we know who done it. We know it's Judas. We know he's the bad guy. But they really didn't know. It wasn't obvious at all. We're told here the disciples all looked at each other. They're totally at a loss. Another one of the Gospels says, one by one, it's surely not me. They really hadn't got a clue who it was. There was no telltales. Oh, I knew it would be Judas all along. No. I mean, maybe sometimes looking back, you can see this. But life can be like that sometimes. You just don't know. People are funny, as I often tell my wife. (laughs) People are unpredictable, right? Betrayal 
came not from someone who was distant, not from the Pharisees, not from, I mean, it would come from the Pharisees, but it came from a close friend. And Jesus was not immune to that. He felt the pain of betrayal. But in the midst of this pain, in the midst of this scene of betrayal, you've also got a picture of love. Because we're told here that one of them, the disciple whom Jesus loved, was leaning next to him. And Simon Peter says, ask him, ask him, who's he talking about? He gesticulates to him, ask him. Now, the tradition has it that this disciple whom Jesus loved is none other than John himself, the writer of this gospel. If you want to go down the road of who wrote John's gospel, you can do that to your heart's content. There are different theories. I'm going to go with the tradition, which says that, the, yeah, he identifies himself as the disciple whom Jesus loved. Just think about that for a minute. How would you identify yourself? Do you know that you are loved as well by Jesus? John would have probably been a young guy, you know, maybe even a late teenager. Maybe 20, we don't know. Uh, and people just kind of knew Jesus had a soft spot for him. He, he was close to, to Jesus. So at the mealtime, there they are, and he's just kind of snuggling with Jesus. <laughs> you know, in a British culture, we're sort of, a handshake will do. But... In the Middle Eastern culture, you know, men are just, they're just not afraid to show more emotion. And they're a bit closer maybe, and they yeah, you know what, I'm just going to rest physically close to Jesus. So Peter, maybe at the other side of the room, ask him, ask him, he's talking about. This has all the, the hallmarks of an eyewitness account. It would appear to me, and I might be wrong about this, but it would appear to me that what happens is that then, when John asks Jesus, Jesus kind of whispers it to John. And I say that because even after he says, it's the one, whom, uh, uh, the one who's going to betray me is the one whom I give the bread to once I've dipped it in the dish. Even though Jesus says that, it appears that not all the disciples pick that up because they still don't know what's going on. He dips the bit of bread and he gives it to Judas son of Simon Iscariot, and we're told that as soon as Judas takes the bread, Satan enters him. Now that was a kind of funny bit of bread, wasn't it? <laughs> was it? As it's like, you know, don't touch that, it's demon-possessed. <laughs> it wasn't the bread itself as such. But there's a really interesting dynamic going on here. Because the devil is at work. Satan, the word Satan means accuser. And Judas would become an accuser. He would get in line with the accusers who would then accuse Jesus, bring him to trial, and send him to his death. Satan is at work. Now, Satan is the enemy of God. He's the enemy of everything that is good. And yet he's at work right here. Now, normally in the Gospels, when Jesus encounters the power of Satan... He takes authority. When he sees the woman who's, who's held captive by the devil through sickness for however many years, can't remember, 
he, he takes authority, casts the demon out, and he makes her well. When he can count as the demon-possessed man, filled with, with all these demons, he casts them out into a herd of pigs. <laughs> he takes authority over the devil whenever he encounters uh, a, a, a clear manifestation of the devil's power. But here, Jesus gives the bread to Judas. He facilitates it, and then the devil does his work. You know, it's one of the great mysteries of life, isn't it? You know, sort of, if God is in control, how come the devil seems so active? One of the questions we might ask. And we see this, this tension here in this passage. See, all along, God is working his purposes out. God's plan is for Jesus to be betrayed. Jesus knows that he has to do it to be fulfilling scripture and God's plan. And yet, the devil is working. The devil is going to bring about all the lies that they would tell about Jesus. This does not come from God. So we've got this tension. See, sometimes we overemphasize the power of the devil and think that he's almost on a par with God. We need to remember that, no, he's on a leash. (laughs) He has power, he's very active, but his time is limited and he's on a leash, as it were. God is still on the throne. But sometimes... We attribute too much to God. (laughs) And we say, oh, God's got a plan in it all. Everything's for a reason. God's doing this, clearly. When God isn't doing it, actually, it's not God's plan. It's not his will. You know, was it God's plan for for Sir David Armas to be stabbed? Was that God's will? Did God want that to happen? No. Let me just get a little bit controversial. COVID, is that God's will that people suffer and die from COVID? No. Sometimes we overemphasize, controversial, I'm going to disagree with me if you like, we overemphasize God's sovereignty. (laughs) There's an awful lot that happens in our world that isn't what God wants. He doesn't want anyone to perish, but many do. So there's this tricky balance here between Satan working and yet God still being on the throne. God's still working his plans out. And Jesus knows what's going on. The disciples haven't got a clue, but he knows. He says, what you're going to do, do quickly. They all think he's going to go and give money to the poor. They think he's going to go and do something else. They still don't get it. And then we're told, and it was night. It was physical darkness, but it was also spiritual darkness. Right in the thick of a time when the devil is at work, God is still working his purposes out. There's tension here, isn't there, in this scene. Jesus is feeling the pain of betrayal. And in the context of feeling the pain of betrayal, He then says, I give you a new command. Love one another. It's easy to say we should love one another when everything's going great, isn't it? Oh, let's all be loving. Yeah, great. I'm all good with that. But it's when it gets tough, 
when actually one of our friends has just betrayed us. Jesus has just washed the feet of Judas, knowing full well he would betray him. In that context, okay, it's now it's a little bit tougher to love. You might think, well, was it a new commandment? All throughout the Old Testament, God says, you've got to love your neighbor, you've got to love me. Well, what's new about it is he says, as I have loved you, so you must love one another. He's loved them like a servant. He's giving himself to them. He's loved them unconditionally. He's got it close to them. So you must love one another. Maybe you've been hurt in life. And the temptation when we've been hurt is to start putting up some, some barriers. Now, boundaries are good, don't get me wrong. Healthy boundaries are important. But if we put up a barrier and so we never get close to anybody, yes, we might preserve ourselves and not get hurt again. But we'll never be able to love like Jesus loves. Because his love gets close. His love gets hurt. His love is committed. And by this we're told, everyone will know you're my disciples if you love one another. Do you think it's not, it's a, Gail prayed this. Sometimes we lament that as a church we've, we haven't reflected the love of Jesus. So often. And yet that is how people will know. God's love, how people will know the reality of Jesus by the way we treat each other, by whether we love one another. Jesus speaks about this time in his life as the hour when he will be glorified. Again, there's tension here, isn't it? Because this is actually the hour of his shame. The crowds were not going to be going, yay, Jesus. They were going to be going, crucify him. He was going to be led like a lamb to the slaughter. He was going to bear the pain of a criminal. The blame and the shame. And yet he describes this as the hour when he, he will be glorified. Can you see the tension there? You couldn't have made this up. If God is glorified in him, God will glorify the Son in himself and will glorify him at once. Would you have thought that dying on a cross was God's glory? And yet it is. Because Jesus' love looks like that. I give you this commandment. Love one another as I love you. What kind of love is this? It's a self-sacrificial love. It's a love that's not about me. It's about the other. Wow. What kind of love is this? Now, I don't want to be on a downer, but sometimes, you know, I don't even know if Judas was aware that it was Satan influencing him. You know, he just kind of went with it and just eventually woke up, oh, what have I done? I'm going to say that sometimes Satan can be at work in the church. 
He can spread lies. He can spread mistrust. He loves it when we're divided. You know, we can say one thing and it can get received. You know, we say it like that and it gets received like that. Division. Betrayal. Denial. Satan loves all that. You're lovely people, but you know it as well as I do. It can happen in the church. (laughs) We've got to have our wits about us. We're kept safe in the love of God, but we're also not immune against the attacks of the enemy. We've got to be on our guard. We're in a spiritual battle, as Gail prayed. God is working his purposes out. He's working powerfully, but you can bet your bottom dollar when God is working his purposes out that the devil is going to be active as well. I'm almost encouraged (laughs) if he is, because it means God's moving forward. But we need to be awake, and we need to be attentive and have our eyes opened up to what the Lord is doing. The disciples had no clue what God was doing at at that time. Jesus says, I'm not going to be with you for much longer. Simon Peter, where are you going? Well, where I'm going, you can't follow. Peter says, do you know what? Don't say that. (coughs) Why can't I follow you? I'll lay down my life for you. He meant it, but he was so wrong. (laughs) Jesus was about to lay his life down for him, and Peter was about to deny him three times. Couldn't have got it more wrong. This is a story of love. Love in the midst of betrayal, in the midst of denial. And this is the love that God has for you and for me. You might feel that. Do you know what? I feel like I've kind of denied God in my heart at times. I've been embarrassed about being a Christian sometimes. I've not offered a testimony of my faith sometimes when I had the opportunity. I feel that shame. Do you know, God's love is still never failing for you. He loves you. (laughs) I want to invite you to close your eyes. Just imagine with me that scene in the upper room. It was night. The table's laid, the food is there. And you are one of the disciples. Could you imagine yourself as being the disciple whom Jesus loved? You're sitting right there, maybe you're tired after all that's been going on. You're bewildered by this strange act that Jesus has just completed. He's washed everyone's feet. And you're in that scene, celebrating the Passover meal, reclining at the table. What do you see? Do you smell the food? Do you hear the sound of the cups being picked up and put down on the table? Do you hear your friends eating?
Can you imagine yourself as the one reclining next to Jesus? You sense that he's troubled. And all that he says you, it's all new, it's confusing. And yet, you rest even in that place, knowing that Jesus loves you. That you too are the disciple whom Jesus loves. How do you feel? You're so close to him that you can hear him whisper to you. You are loved by him. He's your Lord. He's also your friend. You are right there with Jesus. Church, this is not just an imaginative exercise. This is the reality of who you are in Jesus. Nothing can separate you from his love. Even the devil raging, nothing can separate you from his love. You're safe in the arms of Jesus. You are his beloved. He calls you to follow him. And he calls you to follow him to the cross. To that place of sacrifice and shame. He calls you to follow him to the empty tomb. To the reality that he is risen. still has the nail marks in his hands but he has defeated death and he's still your friend he calls you to worship him because he is Lord and all authority in heaven and earth has been given to him he's your Lord and he's still your friend Get close to Jesus, because this is who you are.